Hello, this is Yaro Stark, and welcome to an Entrepreneur's Journey interview. And today on the line, I have a new guest, someone I have actually spoken to prior, but you probably haven't heard of him because that was for one of my paid products. His name is Pete Williams, and he is in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia, so just down from me here in Brisbane. And I've known Pete for a while. I think we first connected Pete at probably an Ed Dale event. Yep, would that probably been sense? Ed's event. Yeah, probably yeah. a few years ago now. Uh, Pete's one of those guys who... He has a claim to fame where you often come in contact with him first hearing the story about how he, uh, in quotes, sold the MCG, which is the Melbourne Cricket Ground. So it's a, a, a big cricket field down in Melbourne. Now, that's not all that Pete's about, though. And as I've discovered, every time I talk to him, there is always <laughs> a ridiculous amount of businesses going on. And he's only one man. So the fact that he can manage them all, obviously, he's got teams and a company, uh, Pete, just as a summary, I know you've got a, a telco last time I was yep. speaking to you, right? Yes. I guess the main um, business um, out of everything is the telco, Infinity Telecommunications. So we've got uh, teams up and down the east coast in, in the three states around Australia uh, selling and installing phone systems for SMEs. Um, and then we've got a whole bunch of e-com sites under that that are doing you know, millions of dollars a year in um, e-commerce around sort of B2B um, headsets and conference phones and other sort of telecommunications peripherals. Um, also involved in an outdoor retail store, um, a finger food catering company, uh, and then just do a whole bunch of other consulting and sort of some you know more advising sort of stuff to some other sort of businesses. But the ones I actually kind of have a share in is the telco, it's related online businesses, and then the online and offline elements of a finger food catering company and outdoor retail store. So very, very completely um, different businesses. But as you might touch, I don't know if we'll get to it in the call today, to me they're all the same, which I'll kind of explain later if right. it fits. And of course, we haven't even mentioned that you, we're coming together now a little bit because we want to talk about something you're doing with Richard Sheffrin, who's been yep. a, a longtime mentor of me. Mm. And um, we can talk about that later in the call, but that's an information product, a training course for yep. online <laughs> marketers. So, And you've taught how to get press coverage before as well, yeah. not to mention, I think, SEO, um, you know, marketing in general. You do too many different things, Pete, so it's not natural. Um, <laughs> But I think uh, we'll learn about how you actually can make all this work by interviewing you. So let's get this um, full story. And thank you for joining me today. Oh, mate, happy to. More than welcome. I, love, I loved your blog. Yours was one of the first internet marketing blogs I read years ago. So loving to actually be on here and sharing some stuff back to everybody. Fantastic. So um, born and raised in Melbourne? Born and raised in Melbourne, yep. Yeah. Uh, a place called Backus Marsh, which is sort of, uh, I guess, on the outskirts of the city limits almost. You probably call it a bit country. So, And then, um, yeah, born and raised in Victoria. I love it down here. Now, did you uh, have like a lemonade stand or some sort of you know, <laughs> early entrepreneur yeah. gig as a kid? It's really strange. You know, I, my, my mom's a, a math teacher and my dad's a logistics manager. So they're not sort of business people by any fact. But mum mom loves telling this story. She's very proud of it. And I don't know, really know why. But when I was about three or four years old, apparently I drew in crayon arrows all down our hallway to my bedroom. And when mum, you know, before she scolded me for doing that, she asked me what I was doing. And I was, I told her apparently, I don't remember this, of course, but apparently I told her that I was doing arrows to my office so she can find me if I was busy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of, for whatever weird reason, always been sort of part of me and never quite had the, had the lemonade stand, but we used to holiday quite a bit down at Ocean Grove, which is like a, a surfside um, beach town here in Victoria, um, every sort of Easter and Christmas. And um, I've got photos and do have a very vivid memory of um, making sort of um, having basketball card trading um, sort of days um, at, our, at our place and in the caravan park sort of running various sort of little entrepreneurial ventures, made a series of gift cards, one, one Easter so people could buy Easter cards off me and give to their friends and family in the caravan park and um, did some very sort of random sort of lemonade stand type things when I, when I was younger and kind of uh, have always been that way since. So does that mean as you graduated from high school, you were not thinking full-time job or did you go university or did you go straight into running your own business? No, I actually started my first business when I was in high school. Um, in year 11, I started a business called Impact Plus, which was a web design company. So I think I had about five clients, my, my, my primary school, um, local basketball club and a couple of other small businesses around town. So that was the first business I actually registered was when I was in year 11. Um, so you were a code monkey? Like you could design pages yourself? Oh, look, front page, Microsoft front page. So I wouldn't call it a code monkey. Back in the day, HTML was pretty bland. It was like, you know, frame sets and tables. It was pretty pretty basic, but yeah. <laughs> when, when was this, by the way? What year? Uh, 97, 98, 99 it would have been. Okay, that sort so of late, late 90s. Exactly when I came online. And yeah. I, I learned tables and HTML as well. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it was a good era. I enjoyed it the was, simplicity it was back good. then. 
Okay, um, so oh, it was great fun. So then did that, and then yeah, so went to uni, went to uni at um, so finished up high school, thinking I'd always be a, a business owner, but kind of made the assumption that you know to learn how to run a business, I had to go to uni. So I went to a uni down in Geelong at, at Deakin, um, sort of um, doing a, doing a commerce degree down there, and and very early learnt that you know uni's ver- a lot of fun and definitely going to stay there and graduate for the, the enjoyment of uni, but the course itself was very much geared to. Uh, to be a white collar employee for a big big corporate, so it was a, it was a business course, but it was very much like you didn't really learn any direct response stuff or any sort of stuff that's applicable straight away, which I kind of was surprised about. I just was very naive going into the course, thinking that commerce meant learning how to run and, and grow a business as, as opposed to being a good employee in a business sort of firm, um, which is kind of interesting now because I've I've just been um, asked to be on the advisory board for the commerce department of Deakin University, so I'm now actually <laughs> helping advise and change some of the syllabus, so it can actually better match what I think the course needs right. to a certain extent. The irony, huh? Yeah, it's kind of funny. So it's kind of full circle, which is really cool. So I'm, I'm really enjoying giving back in that way. But um, kind of got a job out of uni, so I well, actually didn't quite get a job. Went to um, did uni, worked at Athletes Foot selling shoes just to pay the bills at uni and kind of had some small projects on the side but really enjoyed that, learned how to sell, um, which was really important and then finished university and had the ability to go and work overseas for a few months, work in the US. So uh, the original plan was to go to the US and spend six months working with athletes foot at various stores around the country over there to work out what they were doing in America, different to Australia, bit of a reconnaissance mission so to speak. Um, and that was going to be great fun, you know, travel to America on Athletes Foot Dime and kind of, you know, see the States and have fun before I came back to Australia and got serious. But I started off in, um, in Florida because I, I moved over there in December, you know, university finished in November and moved over there in December and um, was like, well, you know, it's America's winter. I, I don't want to be anywhere near the cold. I was a surf boy. I was a beach boy. So I went to Florida to start with and thought I'll start with Florida and as, the, as it gets warmer, I'll kind of move across the country. And then basically just fell in love with Florida and went, do you know what? I'm not going to leave here. So basically stayed at the, the one store for the majority of the time, uh, met a girl, fell in love, lived on her couch for, for a while, um, had great fun. And then my visa ran out and kind of got sent back to Australia and was kind of planning on, well, the plan was to move back to America, work out some way I could move back there and, you know, do the relationship thing. Um, and it was at that time when the whole MCG venture kind of happened, um, which you kind of alluded to earlier. We won't go too in-depth with it, but... Basically, the plan was obviously to go back to the States. So I took up another job at Athletes Foot just as an interim sort of thing to help them grow a, a new store that just opened um, while I was trying to get my stuff together to move back to the US. And uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a relatively new store, so it was pretty quiet. So there was times where it was you know, no foot traffic coming into the store and stuff like that. So I'd stand behind the counter and just read books just to kind of kill the time and you know, fuel and, and feed that entrepreneurial kind of fire inside me. So one of the books was... Um, uh, the One Minute Millionaire by Mark Victor Hansen and Robert Allen. And it, it told a story in that book about a, a gentleman um, who later became, I know it was Paul Hartunian, who's, who's a great uh, marketer and, and publicist, who back in the late 80s, early 90s, bought a whole bunch of timber that was the Brooklyn Bridge Walkway in uh, Manhattan, New Jersey. Um, the bridge went between those two places and made certificates up with a history of the Brooklyn Bridge, little sort of, you know, A5 size certificates history of the Brooklyn Bridge, a one-inch square of the timber and then, you know, word around the campfire was that he sold them off for about $19 each and made about $2 million out of it. And I was just like, how, how wow, almost, almost saw that, wow, how good, how good is that? Um, so I started to think, well, how can I easily replicate that as, as a quick little venture to, to, you know, make some money? You know, that was kind of what I always had done. And the Melbourne Cricket Ground, which for those who don't know, is kind of Australia's version of Yankee Stadium. It's kind of the stadium here, a sports stadium here in Australia. It was under renovation um, for um, a, a, a rebuild it was doing in certain parts of the stadium. So rang the wrecking company or were able to track down the wrecking company that was doing the demolition, thinking they'd just replicate that idea and do certificates up with the timber and things like that. But speaking to them, they had a, a whole bunch of carpet. Now, it's going to sound really strange, but the carpet that lay in the members area, the really exclusive members area of the state of the stand, was um, and has the crested logo of the, the ground on it. So it's quite famous, very, very ugly, but very, very famous. And they had some of that sitting there in the back of the um, warehouse because they'd pulled it down as part of the demolition. So I bought all that over the phone straight away. And then to make a, a long story short, wrote a press release um, saying 21-year-old sells the MCG for under $500 because I'd made a series of memorabilia frames up with a photo of the MCG, a piece of this squared carpet and a, a limited edition plaque with a bit of a history of the MCG. 
and the media here in Australia went absolutely ballistic with it. So I got you know news stories and national press and radio and all that sort of stuff. And that was a great little journey that um, was very profitable. Um, I got a book deal out of it. Got approached by um, John Wiley and Sons, one of the larger publishers in the world. So I got to turn that into a book deal and, and then started doing consulting work. And that's kind of how it sort of parlayed into all these other businesses, which we can definitely touch mm. on as well. Amazing, because it sounds like before that you pretty much were in retail selling shoes. Yeah. So yep. <laughs> um, it's like one smart idea that really yeah. propelled you into the limelight. Yeah, well, exactly. I think because the retail for me was like I didn't own the, the retail stores or anything like that. It was just more of a job that I, I kind of enjoyed. I'm uh, a triathlete, so I kind of like running and stuff like that. So the shoe kind of stuff was something that I enjoyed. And the thing I loved about Athletes Foot from an entrepreneurial perspective, because I've kind of always been that way as we touched on, was they're very much on sales and selling skills. So it's not just about it's a retail store. They really spend a lot of time training their staff, which is what I really liked about it because I learned some really, really important lessons about selling and stuff like that. And I was good friends with the owners of a number of franchises that I worked at. So they kind of gave me a lot more responsibility than simply just, you know, selling and, and taking money over the counter and playing with people's dirty socks. It was very much more about beyond just that, you know, learning the business as well, which was quite of interesting. So that was really helpful. But yeah, like the, the, before the MCG venture, it was very much just retail planning on going back to the US. So did the MCG venture give you enough money to then say I'm an entrepreneur and you quit the job? Like how did your life change? Yeah, well, well basically from that I um, started doing some consulting work with, with, some, with some companies and stuff. There was sort of a, a, a role that I took where I was sort of dealing with a whole bunch of countries, companies around Australia sort of doing consulting to help them grow their business and marketing. Uh, and then from that kind of parlay into you know, some speaking gigs and, and more advising and consulting stuff. So you got to explain though, how did you become a consultant when really, you know, you, you prior to, you hadn't run business. It was interesting. You hadn't it was done much marketing. You, you had a bit of success with the press coverage. <laughs> Is yeah. that what they hired you for to sort of get yeah, press? For yeah, it was, it was the press and the marketing stuff. Cause obviously with the MCG venture, it was, there was more than just the, the press. Like the press was a big catalyst. There's no question about that. That drove a lot of the sales, but we did a lot of direct response stuff as well. Um, and I did a whole bunch of other sort of various online marketing for the for the frames and stuff like that. So, and and look, you know, I've, I've been completely open about this the whole way through. I, I do think people asking for me, for me for advice at the time was was a little naive of them more so than me, in that they were sort of seeing this one venture and thinking I had all this experience. And I was very transparent about. It. I never sort of said that I knew it all. But you know, I think what it really was was the book. You know, the, the when John Wiley approached me to do a book about sort of how I did the business and the project and. And other sort of stuff I've been involved with, um, that was very very cool. So that kind of helped get a lot of credibility. Um, so I'd started doing some marketing consulting, kind of at the end of the MCG venture anyway, just because I, I was sick of doing the um, retail stuff. And it was kind of it was something I just kind of fell into in terms of there was a, a company that I, I, I knew about that I was friends with that um, again said, "Oh, do you want to come in and help just do some some marketing work for us?" So you know, you probably call it more of an employee role, but I was paid as a consultant and, you know, positioned myself as a consultant purely because I was still planning on going back to the US. So the, the consultant was sort of more the term purely because I didn't want to, I didn't want to have a job because I was going to leave at some stage back to the US. Now that obviously fell apart. The relationship kind of, you know, fell apart over, you know, over years of, or a couple of years of, you know, me staying in Australia with the MCG venture and stuff like that, not wanting to leave because it was profitable. Um, so from that um, started with the telco guys. That sort of happened kind of at the end, end of the MCG venture at the start of the book deal. So that was kind of where I fell into that role. Like I came in, helped them do some marketing in a certain sort of way. They were dealing with some, some, some press and some direct response stuff that that was a consulting role um, for a short period of time. And then how that parlayed into the telco was that they were in the telco space reselling phone lines. So they were actually just um, sort of rebuilding other people's carriage. So, you know, helping you save money on your phone lines. So I kind of came in helping with that to start with. And then, you know, realize that there's no real space online for doing that well. But we realized that there wasn't anyone in Australia, this is about eight years ago, doing um, online marketing for phone system sales anywhere. It was, it, was, it was a very, very untapped market. And they had some resources and some connections in that space. So the way we started that telco business was where I became a partner when we changed the focus from phone bills to hardware is we started the business and we still consider it a sales and marketing company. And what we did is we, you know, we, we put in place um, processes of, of websites and traffic generation and conversion engines and a whole bunch of other stuff designed to actually 
drive inquiries for phone system sales. So we would get that traffic engine right to be able to drive the inquiry. Then we'd, we'd make the sale of the phone system to the client. We had relationships with, you know, with um, hardware manufacturers relatively easy. And then what we'd actually do is we'd actually outsource the installation of the phone system to our competitors. So we'd sell a system in Sydney, hypothetically. We're all based in Melbourne, or were at the time. And we'd sell a system in Sydney because our website would generate a lead from Sydney and we'd be able to do a proposal and price it well and all that sort of stuff. And then we'd find it. We'd find a company in in Sydney locally that could go and do the install for us. So technically, it's a competitor. So we made sure we had our sales and marketing engine right and outsourced all the the, um, the installation. So you know, the first hundred or so installations of phone systems we did, we actually fundamentally passed that client onto a competitor after the fact. So we made a gross margin. Um, on the front end and had no lifetime value mm. because it, and we were very conscious about that and that was um, our, our big decision because we wanted to make sure we could get the business engine running and to me, any engine is is traffic and conversion. You know, the product itself has to be great, has to be good but is it very much a, a third consideration whereas for so many business owners, I think it's the, the main focus. So um, that's how we started that business is we were just doing sales and marketing all over the phone from warm leads we we generated from direct response marketing and, and online marketing. And that's over time that business grew where we were making enough sales, you know, in Melbourne and in Sydney that it was silly of us not to get our own technicians. So it was only after sort of a point of, um, you know, reach and, 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 and size that we went, okay, let's actually start doing the product side of, mm. side of things in-house. When, and that's, what, that's how we end up having, you know, our own staff in terms of hardware supplies and technicians and then offices in you know, Sydney and Brisbane. There's a lot to this. Like you're, like you said, you're doing a lead generation business to begin with online. So mm-hmm. that I can see you could keep reasonably small yep. without getting, you know, you, basically you, you have a bunch of websites, you get emails and phone calls or you, se- you send emails and, and do phone calls. Exactly. And when you get converted customers, you send them off and hopefully there's a margin you can make um, between that transaction. Yep. Now, that's a big difference, though, from then becoming basically a, a, a service and hardware. Yeah, business. a huge difference. <laughs> right. So how, how did you manage? Like, were you just a one-person or two-person show when you were just doing lead generation? Uh, initially, there was four of us. There was, I've got two business partners in the telco who, who I started consulting with, and they had an, one employee at the time. So they had a team of three when I came on helping them with the phone bill stuff. So then I kind of joined. So it was a team of four of us. So for the first few months, it was only four of us because – no, I was taking care of the, most of the marketing, like online sort of stuff, and then they were basically handling all of the sales calls and doing the, the sales um, stuff. So you, you were building websites, Pete? Is that? Yeah, we, 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 I was building some of the websites and we outsourced it, and I was looking after sort of the management of the site and the copy and the AdWords because there was a lot of AdWords sort of stuff in the SEO. So I was kind of doing most of that sort of stuff, still a bit of sales, but predominantly worrying about the traffic and the lead gen stuff and the two business partners who are, who are still amazing salespeople. Um, were handling the inquiries once they came in and doing the conversion side of things. You must have um, been very good at direct response copywriting or, or uh, were you farming that out? No, I was doing that myself. But again, you know, this is the, the thing is like I think over time I've got much better at it. Um, I think Adam, one of my business partners, is an is a exceptional salesperson and as we all know, direct response is just salesman in print. So I just basically take stuff he was saying and sort of write it up and, or he'd write it up himself and put it on the site. Um, but again, the really cool thing was is that you know, at the time, um, there was no one really doing much online in the telco space. It was quite surprising. You know, eight years ago is an ancient history online, but it was very um, open at the time. So we were just doing AdWords and, you know, there wasn't many competitors out there. So what was happening was, you know, the, the boss or the office manager was saying to the receptionist or someone else in the team, hey, go and get me some quotes for a phone system. So, you know, they're they at their work. They were young. They were, you know, mid-20s, you know, late-20s at the time. So they're going to go to Google. That's what they were doing for when, they had, when they were told to get quotes. They weren't going to Yellow Pages at the time and stuff like that. So we were kind of, you know, Right fundamentally, place, right, right, right place, right time, and and doing well, good stuff. Like you know, we still make sure that the beautiful thing is in the in the phone system hardware space, and it still is to this day to a certain extent that the majority of our competitors are technicians, and not not saying like you no know, one man band technicians, but technicians to the extent that they think it's about the product, so they talk tech. And they talk about ISDNs and four-port routers and just all this sort of technical garbage that just scares the heck out of the client. Whereas because we were sales and marketing people who happened to sell phone systems, we only knew enough about phone systems of what it would do. We knew the features and the benefits, not the technical stuff. So we never got bogged down in communicating to the client what the actual cards were that you're getting a four-port on-ramp or anything like that because it meant nothing to them. So we were very... um, 
I guess, smart or lucky, depending on how you want to look at it, that we deliberately didn't get technical. So when we spoke to the clients and what we continue to hear over and over again and, and still do today is that what we communicate to them is in English. We don't talk tech. So it was more about that that was the real um, thing for us is that we didn't get bombarded. We, we spoke in the language of our clients because um, that's the language we knew, which was really, really great. Uh, and that was sort of the real killer is that, you know, the, the copy, we were driving traffic from AdWords very, very, very well, better than anybody else. And not many people were doing it, but those who were, um, were still, you know, killing it from that perspective. And then when they got onto the site or, or, or called us for a conversation about a quote, we were using language they cared about. We were talking about the benefits. We were talking about, we were, doing, we were using long form copy on, you know, phone system sales pages and not sort of the like, long side copy then, you know, oh, my phone system wouldn't work. Or my friends laughed at me when I told them I could sit down and my phone would ring off the hook or, you know, those silly direct response headlines that everyone's heard. We weren't using that sort of style direct response. We were just using long-form copy, really talking to people in their language and talking about the benefits and the problems they were experiencing with their phone system and really understanding what they, that, what they wanted without being technical. And that, that, I think that's still the case with anything. Mm. Yep, yep. Sales is such an important skill. It's amazing. No matter what industry you're in, that, that seems to be the, the deal breaker. Exactly. Yeah. So um, tell us how you expanded to a full-blown hardware company as well. And, and, oh, and how did me? you manage this with your, <laughs> you know, like, cause uh, did, did this make you rich, Pete? Was this like the, the, the or, or by then were you kind of living off your, your Melbourne uh, oh, look, MC, MCG sales? The, the businesses were profitable. They're all going really well. And I was, you know, living a great life and just still sort of, you know, wanting to, to make more and wanted to, um, you know, continue to sort of fuel that entrepreneurial fire. But let me tell you, that was like the actual t- going, growing from a sales and marketing company to having technicians in, on the books was a nightmare. Like, because it's not our skill set. You know, I still don't know how to install a phone system after eight years. So, and it still is a little bit of a challenge to a certain extent because it's not our focus. You know, but with any business, if you're a business that is focused on technical, you're going to have problems with sales and marketing. It's hard to sort of have the best balance until you hire staff. So. You know, we weren't too bad. Because we grew organically, we kind of, you know, said, okay, well, we'll just start having technicians in Melbourne. So we'd still outsource our um, installations uh, interstate to our competitors, but we just, you know, we went, okay, let's start with technician in Melbourne. So we hired one technician to sort of do some of our work in Melbourne and then slowly over time kind of just grew it that way. But there was definitely a lot of, you know, growing pains because, you know, we were sales and marketing and we, you know, right or wrongly, um, focus majority on sales and marketing and, and I do and I, I've apologized to many clients where we, we, we didn't give them the service they probably deserved at the time because we didn't have the technical resources or whatever reason or pro, more so the processes in place to handle that sort of stuff. So there was teething issues with every business and, you know, I think someone to come on and say that, you know, they grew their business and never had a, 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 a never, you know, stuffed a client around, never upset a client, never did a poor installation or a poor service is, is kidding themselves. Every business goes through growing pains where you don't do what you hope you do, where you, you don't do what you hope you're doing for your clients. So we, we did have growing pains and clients, you know, didn't have the perfect experience. But I think over time we've, we've got better at that and we've put employees in place who, who are technical, who, who, who can manage that. So I don't have to. Um, that allows for us to give the delivery of, you know, the, the product delivery is the level that I want to be at, um, but still I'm spending most of my time focused on sales and marketing. In hindsight, though, do you think, because you know, I'm all about lifestyle businesses and mm-hmm. you've obviously made a choice there to take what was basically a purely <laughs> online business and yep. make it physical, which Absolutely. I'm sure you're working a lot of hours already, but you no doubt would have worked a lot more hours when you were physical. <laughs> so do you kind of, like if you were to advise Pete Williams back then, would you sort of suggest maybe you had a had a good situation and let's let's maybe continue to look um, at more online ventures or have you, you... Yeah, great that's an exceptionally good question mate that's an exceptionally good question I think you know for me at the time I was in my sort of mid twenties uh, I the reason half the reason we did it for was obviously to make a bigger business but also I just wanted to experience what it was like to grow a real world business so because I'd had you know money and I was kind of you know, relatively successful you know quote unquote it wasn't necessarily about the money for me it was about the challenge of like let's see if we can do this. So I think if I did it now, like my wife's pregnant, we're due with that first child in January, I probably wouldn't do that again right now because my life right now is, is it's all about lifestyle. It's very much about that. It's not about challenges per se because I think a baby's going to be a big enough challenge. Yeah. Um, but in my, in my mid-20s at the time, I was like, yeah, let's have a crack at this. Like, cause I, it wasn't, lifestyle wasn't a huge issue for me back then because I was able to go out and have fun on the weekends and all that sort of stuff anyway. So I, I think, you know, for someone in their 20s, I'd say, have a crack at it because you could build something, you know, exceptionally large that you can IPO or something like that. But I think if you sort of, 
you know, depending on where you are in your life, your goals change. So back then my goal was to try and take over the world. Right now it's, it, it is changing. It's all about, okay, look, I'm, I want to have time with my child when it comes along. I want to be able to sort of do other stuff. I really enjoy my consulting and, you know, writing a new book soon. And like it's, that's the sort of stuff I want to do now. So I think it comes down to being what sort of business you want and what your goals are because I think realistically if the whole economy changed and everyone just wanted to have passive you know, income lifestyles, the economy is going to stop because no, one, you know, no one's going to go and do your, yep. your sparky work or your plumbing. Someone's going to do the jobs. Yeah, someone has to do it. So there's always going to be a need for that. So I think it just comes down to, to, to right style, life, right goal and mm. right outcome. So, so t- take us, how did all these other businesses join this collection? Yeah, <laughs> and cool. how do you so, manage it all? Yeah, so from, so from that, it was basically because the telco was primarily, as I said, you know, we, we consider it a sales and marketing company. Um, you know, we had that engine, we, you know, we, we've got, you know, web designers in-house now and copywriters and all that sort of stuff in-house to do all that sort of stuff because that's the primary focus of the business that, you know, where we are, this is, this is going to sound really strange, but the finger food company is two doors from our office. So we just got to know um, the old owner of the business because we shared a car park and just kind of got chatting with him at various stages and, you know, he was sort of saying, oh, we're struggling getting business, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, you know, our skill set is you know, marketing and, and, and traffic generation and conversion. We don't know finger food. We know how to make the phone ring for any business. So we kind of became involved in, in that business purely as a way to as helping that business generate traffic. Um, and then over time, obviously, got to the point where we decided to buy the business because it was, it was better ROI to sort of, you know, because, because the product itself, be it finger food, but the product realistically is the, obviously the, the cooking of the food, the delivery, the serving of the food. It's not just the food itself. The, the product in my mind is, is the actual caterer? delivery. Is it catering? Yeah. yeah. So it's everything beyond just the physical food. So the product in that definition of it takes care of itself to a certain extent. So we came to the, the conclusion that it's better of us owning that business because the product was relatively um, mechanical and taking care of itself. So we had more ROI by owning the whole business and still focusing on the sales and marketing. So that's how that business came about because to me, which is kind of what I alluded to at the start of the call, is that finger food is the same business as phone systems to me. I don't know how to use a deep fryer. I don't know how to install a phone system. But I, I know how to make the phone ring. And I know how to convert those people when they, when they ring into buyers. And then I have employees and team members whose sole focus is to make sure the product's really, really good. Um, be it an installation of a phone system or the catering of a, of a 40th birthday party. And then uh, the outdoor store is two doors the other side of the building. <laughs> um, so it's literally it's basically buying up the whole, the whole block. So if you want to get um, bought so, up by Pete, just open up yeah. a business near you and <laughs> You're good to go. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's, a, there's an IT computer company that opened up downstairs last week, so we'll, we'll put that on the clock and see how long that takes. <laughs> but the outdoor store was – he was a retail store, um, worked at a retail um, outdoor store for quite a while and knew the product exceptionally well. The old owner of that business at a different location um, wasn't successful. He thought he'd have a crack at running a business. Um, and this is, I think, a downfall for so many people that, um, you know, and this is what I, I talk about quite a bit where you look at somebody who does an apprenticeship. They become a plumber or a sparky or a builder. They do an apprenticeship and know, and know the tools. They know the product. They know how to build a house and how to, you know, plumb a house, whatever it might be, and they do their apprenticeship and then suddenly think they, they know how to run a business and they go out on their own and they're not successful because your apprenticeship doesn't teach you how to actually run a business. It teaches you how to do the mechanics. And the issue that, I, that we saw with the, the retail store was that the, the guy who, who went from being an employee at the store that, did, that, that failed to going, oh, look, I know the product. I know outdoor stuff really, really well. And he, and he knows. He, he loves the product. He knows rock climbing. He knows hiking. He knows all that sort of stuff exceptionally well. And he started the business and then realized that it's not about the product. He realized that, oh, hang on, I've got to actually drive traffic into my store. People have to be able to walk into the store here and or come to my website. And, and that's not his skill set. So, again, over conversations with him in the car park, we kind of realized that he knows his product but doesn't know the marketing. And that was a big problem for his business. And I think so many business owners face this, that they know their product really, really well, but they don't know how to market it. Um, so we came in and said, well, hang on, well, we know sales and marketing. Um, we don't know outdoor, but you do. So let's partner up together. So that's a, that's a partnership arrangement at the moment where, where we've rebuilt the, the, the website completely from scratch. We're driving new traffic to his, to his store and obviously online. And he's worrying about the product, you know, dealing with the clients and, and fulfilling their needs and helping them out really, really well. And we're just, you know, churning um, traffic at, at, at the website and at the actual uh, retail store. So that's how that business came about. Because, again, to me, that, that's why I consider the outdoor store, the, the finger food catering company and the telco stuff and, and the e-commerce stuff that we do as well all being fundamentally the same business because it's not about the product. Now, I know you're going to keep adding to this list of companies, Pete. You still haven't <laughs> touched on the, the online e-commerce yet. Yep. Um, but before you do that, and, and maybe 
Uh, it sounds like these situations are kind of similar in the sense that you, you see a company that could benefit from your, your marketing acumen and then eventually yeah. you help them and potentially buy them out. Mm-hmm. On a personal level, how is your day-to-day life changing with this? Because are you like, the, like, is this like a portfolio and you get more added each day? Because to me, this sounds like there's, okay, you know, I'm sure these companies have lots of people working for them and they do all the main jobs, but you still have to think about these companies. Oh, absolutely. And talk about them and have meetings with your partners and, yep. you, know, how th- you know, look at numbers and how things are going <laughs> and what are you going to do next. Does it not compound a bit and are you not getting a bit overworked and stressed from the different variables um, to think about here no look uh, not really because the, the, to the point where like you know we've had think we've been involved in figure food for a couple of years now and we've only been involved in outdoor for about six months so you know the, the, the telco business was fundamentally running itself to a certain extent where i was very much working on the business not in it and as soon as i got to that point where i kind of not had free time per se but i was like okay i'm not working in the business too much we have the ability from a, a board perspective, so to speak, to go, okay, we can parlay something new onto this. Um, so that's when, the, that's when we, the finger food company came along really. So it wasn't really an additional time. It was just a shift of movement because obviously at that point I could have gone or we could have gone, my business partners and I gone, look, let's not take anything new on. Let's just actually live, a, live um, work less hours and have more of a lifestyle. Um, but the choice that we made at the time was, no, no, let's not do that. Let's grow the, the empire for want of a better term or grow the portfolio that's probably a, a better way of putting it and and rather than investing that time in you know sunshine and lollipops and rainbows let's actually grab another business and that's where finger food came on and then again that conversation was had six months ago i think um, another business might be your sunshine and lollipops yeah and rainbows, look Pete, so. <laughs> i think the um i think really now is you know with the baby coming on coming coming along in you know three months time or four months time it won't be any, there won't be many more i can't see anything popping onto the radar because i don't because you're right at that point these three businesses are going to be very much sort of, you know, I'll, I'll say board meeting requirements, but there's a little, I'm, in, I'm involved a lot more than just board meetings, of course, like on a daily basis. But I should be able to go back to the, the plan is next year is, you know, one day a week involved in the finger food, one day a week in the outdoor, one day a week in the, in the telco, and then two days a week of, of baby time. That's kind of the, what, what I'm working towards for January. Okay. Now that, that opens up a question then. Uh, you've obviously managed to set these companies up or take them over and – they function without you well. Yep. Can you, and obviously it's way beyond the, the, the five minutes you get to answer this question, <laughs> but looking at that, is there one thing you could tell us that is the most important ingredient to make that work so you can step aside in, in your experience with these companies? Two great business partners. Right. So, like, what do they so do? It, um, same as me. Like, so like in terms of the, the, the same two guys I started the telco with uh, – we're in the, the outdoor together. We're in finger food. So we can kind of share responsibilities. We're all kind of, you know, it's, it's definitely had its pluses and it's, don't get me wrong, it's definitely had its cons is we're very, very similar, which has been problems at times. We all focus on the same thing and no one's kind of looking at the other thing about the business, which kind of, you know, has been had testing moments. Um, but when, when it comes to sort of the way we've, we've, we've learned to work together and structure the businesses, it's all sales and marketing. We all kind of know the same stuff. Now, I'm probably more FA at the marketing than they are, but they're more FA at the sales and conversion than I am. So there is obviously a lot of crossover. So that means, and we all kind of think the same after eight years. So from that perspective, you know, if I'm away one day and decisions need to be made, they can make them and I know they'll make the right decisions, um, which has been really helpful. though, like, Good people at hiring, for example, oh, to get operations managers. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know. I, I, I would love to give you advice, but I still don't have that right. And, it, and like, transparent it's you know i i don't think we've got it completely right yeah i think we've got some amazing staff i think i like our marketing team i wouldn't change for for a heartbeat our accounts team is pretty good we went went through some some real headaches a couple of years ago with the accounting team uh i think from an operations perspective we're getting better i think there's probably a couple of roles we could probably fill to to, to make it better not not change but add some other people to the team to sort of take some of the operational stuff across uh, and I'd love to be able to sit up here and say, look, I know it all. I know the secrets to that, but I, I don't. You know, talk, I'll talk marketing and traffic generation and conversion with confidence and congruency all day long. But, you know, I, I, I can talk for an hour and a half about the lessons I've learned from, you know, operations, but I am far from an expert on that because right. that, that has been our biggest biggest downfall. Um, but you're relaxed enough to spend an hour today talking to me about your businesses. So things are not exploding well, uh, around well, you. 
my today's been oh, like I get up early like I'm a morning person I was up at five I had a, a, a conference call um, for an hour and a half this morning with the US for a project I'm working on uh, then I was you know that was from 6.30 or 7.30 and then from 7.30 to, to, to 9.00 or so this morning I was um, in the office well, I've been in the office all day today um, talking to the, the, the telco staff about some marketing stuff and also talking to the web design team about um, the outdoor retail site that they just went live the other week um, then I jumped onto a three-hour Q&A, which was probably a two-hour Q&A call today actually, um, with some consulting clients that I, I do a group consulting thing. So we had a two-hour Q&A call. Um, then I was back in, you know, back out of my office into just talking to people um, in the accounts team for about half an hour about some stuff. Then I'm on this call with you for an hour and then the rest of the afternoon will be on just in the telco office just you know, annoying people and being a seagull, just flying in, crapping on everything and then leaving. Um, so that's sort of my Friday. So, um, you know, I, I get to mix up a little bit. Um, but I, I think what it is, is that I'm really anal with my time. I, I try to be, so when I'm like, when I'm doing something like this is the outcome for my next 25 minutes, I'm going to get that outcome and move on. I think, you know, from a productivity perspective, I think everyone really, if you look at the stuff you look, if you look at your eight hour day and really broke down how many things were actually like how many 10 minute blocks were actually productive, um, you'd actually find most people only spend probably two hours, that eight hours being productive. Um, whereas I think I kind of get more out of my time than most people because if I, if I, you know, I, I break my day down to 25 minute blocks and I'm in bed at nine o'clock at night. So I'm, I'm absolutely exhausted because I work so hard, you know, being up at five changes that, but I'm in bed nine, nine 30, um, because I just go flat out all day. So when I'm on, I'm on, when I'm off, I'm off. Now you have a phrase you call for those 25 minute blocks, don't you? Yeah, it's, 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 to me, it's, um, critical focus time or core focus time. Now, critical focus time is a, a term that Ed Dale, which you mentioned earlier, sort of coined a couple of years ago and we were talking about it when we were hanging out with Frank Kern, an internet marketer in Florida doing some stuff a couple of years ago. And I, I kind of went, yeah, that's basically a great way of putting it in terms of this is critical focus. I'm, I'm, I know exactly what my outcome is for this 25 minutes. I'm critically focused on this one thing. And I've kind of adapted that over, over a while, over a period of time to, to now refer to it as core focus time. Because realistically, if you look at most entrepreneurs or business owners, there's two types of tasks they do. They do core tasks and they do mechanical tasks. And, you know, to look at from an internet marketing perspective, a great way, a good example I often give from an internet marketing perspective to look at it is as an internet marketer, you create videos, whether it's videos for your membership site or videos for traffic generation on YouTube, whatever it might be. And if you break down the process of creating a video and look at the steps, you generally plan out what the video is going to be. You obviously have to record your voice because you're the person who's giving the education or the lesson or the training. Uh, you have to obviously get the slides created that's going to work. You have to pick the transitions and the fonts and the images and you have to upload it to YouTube. So most internet marketers, when they look at their business, they go, oh, look, I have to create a video for my business. I have to do the video, all those steps I spoke about. But if you really break it down, as an internet marketer, as you, Yara, or anyone listening, what is the core elements of that particular process that only you can do? Realistically, it's the, the planning of the, the particular piece of content, you know, mapping out what you're going to talk about and then you actually delivering the 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 voice and the message of that video. That's the core elements. The p- picking of the transition of the slides, the um, picking of the fonts, the uploading it to YouTube, that kind of stuff is just mechanical. You personally add no value to that. So I've really taken that approach to my real-world businesses and now sort of helping you know, internet marketers apply this same methodology to their business in that, well, look at video creation. All you really need to do is the core elements. If you just did a mind map and then recorded an audio file of you talking through that mind map, which becomes the core element, you can have someone else create the slides to match that mind map and what you spoke about. And it will be just as high quality, if not more high quality, than you are actually doing it yourself because the transitions don't matter. You know, Think about a video you watched in the last two weeks that was awesome in terms of educational value and you bullet pointed down the seven takeaways you can still remember for that video. If I ask you to bullet point down what transitions they used, what color slides they were, what graphics they were and what font face the, the video was, you wouldn't remember that stuff because it's completely irrelevant. It's important for the, to, for the video to be there, but it's irrelevant because there's no value added. So that's mechanical sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. I very much break up my day no matter what I'm doing, whether it's sort of online marketing stuff or, or business stuff, is that core focus time. I'll spend 25 minutes to do like a five-minute mind map of a piece of content. Then I'll record an audio of me speaking for 20 minutes over that mind map. And then my team will go off and create the, the slides and the transitions and render the video to get it to that, to that audio and then submit it to YouTube. So that two-hour process of creating a video that most people spend doing, I do it in 25 minutes because I only worry about the core focus element. Now, that, that opens up a question. Now, this is something I've noticed about you, Pete. You, you seem to have two worlds going where you've got <laughs> – 
these businesses, which are, you know, they're kind of the bricks and mortar. You've got they're offices, well. you've got staff, you go in and you, like you said, you're the CEO and you tell people and have meetings and talk to people and things get done. And then you, you step into the online marketing world and, and you've connected with a lot of people. You just mentioned Frank Kern before, yep. obviously Ed Dale being a fellow Melbourneite. And, yep. the, you know, you're, you're about to do a project with Rich Sheffern. I'd love to hear how you met him. Yeah. And then you obviously come to live events and you talk about <laughs> online marketing, but I'm pretty sure some of the consulting you did was probably a bit more, you know, I guess bricks and mortar, maybe applying online marketing to bricks and mortar companies. Yep. And as part of your online, uh, what you do there, you, you've built an outsourcing team. It, it sounds like a, it's a core component of mm-hmm. uh, what you do. And that's, it's almost like another company in itself, everything that happens to repeat. <laughs> yeah. Right? Now, yeah, how have absolutely. You, how have you done that? And, and why is that? something that's important to you? Yeah, good question. Um, from that perspective, look, I guess, you know, as I sort of said, like, you know, the telco business was built on internet marketing. If you really break it down and look at it, like just because we sold phone systems in the real world, all our lead generation and marketing was online. So, you know, eight years ago, well, even like, you know, 12 years ago, whenever it was that I was, you know, designing websites and stuff, um, I've always sort of been intrigued with internet as a, as a way to generate traffic. So I was going to internet marketing events and have been for years to learn internet marketing techniques, to apply it to a real-world business. And I can rant all day about this because I think so many people look at their online business as this completely different world. But success principles, business principles apply online as they do offline. You know, just because the, you know, it's easier to send and it's cheaper to send an email doesn't mean you should send it more often than you would have if you did direct marketing because you know, the same principles of you know, oversaturation with a direct mail piece apply with email. Just because it's free, you shouldn't change the laws. And I think so many people do that. Um, they think think it's a different world, but I kind of came at it was like, well, internet marketing is a way to generate traffic. You know, the, the internet is not a different business model. You're still running a business. It's just a different path to market. Um, so I just applied that path to market for my real world business. So that's sort of I was applying all these AdWord strategies and SEO strategies and opt-in pages and conversion strategies to my real world companies, and you know, going to internet marketing events and speaking to to to, to people at those sort of events about what I was doing, how I was, I was applying it kind of, you know, got to the point where people were asking me to speak and kind of share this philosophy that, you know, an internet business, there's no such thing as an internet business. That it's, it's complete fallacy, you know. Unless you sell the internet, that is not an internet business. You are in the business of marketing your products, currently using your only path to market as the internet. And that's really what internet marketing is if you really break it down. It's a, it's a business which has one path to market and that path to market is, in, is the internet. So when you have that mindset shift, it, it really opens up the success because you go, oh, yeah, I'm running a business. Business success principles are universal. Okay, I'll apply this to everything I'm doing. So I started speaking at events, um, at internet marketing events, with that sort of philosophy and that kind of message and talking about how to actually apply business principles to your online marketing because I was kind of applying marketing principles to a real business and I started then teaching internet marketers how to apply business principles to their little online website that they weren't considering a business. And that's sort of how that kind of transition became. And then consulting with these sort of people who were like, oh, yeah, okay, I've got to treat my website like a business. And that's where their businesses actually take off. And, and you built a team then to help you do all this. Yeah, um, exactly. Look, we outsource. Like, I've got a whole bunch of Philippine staff that actually work for our real-world business, applying internet marketing principles. We've got some of our accounts team based in the Philippines because, again, if you look at it, the actual process of, of in, inputting a accounts payable invoice into our accounting system doesn't need to be done by someone in Australia. They're all emailed from our suppliers and manufacturers so they can go to someone in the Philippines to enter via a remote desktop into, into our company. So we've got a whole bunch of like web developers overseas. We've got accounts people overseas. We don't have any customer service overseas because obviously we, don't, we want to be different and add value and have an Australian person answering a phone in the telco space. It's an interesting theory that no one else seems to apply. <laughs> but like, So I've applied those outs principles to my real world business because it's like well it's just a business if it applies for an internet marketer quote unquote it'll apply for a real world business so then obviously off the back of that i went well if i'm going to start speaking more and consulting and doing videos of my own and blogs and stuff like that i built up my own outsourcing team in the philippines to help me with that so if i want to create a video about a particular lesson that i think is not being communicated well enough or taught properly in the internet marketing space i'll create this little audio file like i explained and then have someone overseas create the videos to match and then syndicate it online because the mechanics can be done by anybody anywhere in the world. Has it been a long process getting this team around you? Is, is it like hiring in the real world? Um, <laughs> look, well, this, real. this is the thing I think to me that, again, this is something that I talk about quite a bit is that 
again, the way people hire online when they're going to hire an outsourcer, they think that the rules change. But I go through the exact same process as if I was hiring someone for, you know, to work in the office here in St Kilda, Melbourne. I'd, you know, put job ads up and we'll get people to apply and we'll go through a stringent interview process. And, and it has taken a while because when I started, when I first started, you know, hiring people, I kind of took this approach that everyone was talking about in internet marketing that it should be different and just go and hire someone and then worry about it afterwards. So I was hiring people on Odesk and then um, kind of realized that that actually doesn't work. And I'm sure you've experienced this and your listeners have too, that the traditional ways that you hire people in the internet marketing world, quote unquote, don't seem to actually be sustainable. So then I sort of thought, well, hang on, if I know that business is business, why don't I actually approach hiring the exact same way that I approach it internally here? And, you know, I get a lot of our overseas staff now off Job Street, which is a... Um, uh, a Philippines version of um, seek.com.au or Monster, like a normal recruitment company. So if you were going for a job in the Philippines locally, they'd go to a place like Job Street. So that's where we hire. So that's where we put the job, job ads up and that's where we hire. We go through the exact same process as if you were hiring someone here and it's been a huge success. We get better quality people, better attention, A players, and it has been a bit of a process and that's sort of uh, some of the stuff I've been sharing as well when I sort of speak at events and stuff. Interesting. So, so how did all this lead to connecting with Rich Shefferin? <laughs> well, basically I, I was speaking at a, at a marketing event in London about 18 months ago, one of Ed Dale's events, um, and I was speaking on sort of this you know, offline, online business kind of philosophy that I kind of just touched on then. And Ed and I were having breakfast one morning um, and he was just sort of asking the same sort of questions that you were there, how the heck do you manage all these businesses? And I kind of sort of started talking about this core versus mechanics philosophy and, and how I only work on the core elements of a particular task and then have, you know, processes and systems in place to have um, all this other stuff done. And Ed was like, whoa, 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 that's the stuff you have to be sharing. That's the stuff that's going to really engage people and, and, and wow them. So I'm like, oh, okay. to me it was just second nature and didn't really think of any value of it. So Ed had a, an event a few months later in Melbourne. Um, so I, I spoke at that event and literally I stood on stage for 90 minutes with my laptop and did my work. I didn't teach anything. I just went, hey, guys, I've got 90 minutes to share with you. I'm going to actually just do my work and you can watch me do it. <laughs> and it sounds very strange, but it was a three-day event with speakers from all over the world and I was the only person who got a standing ovation. I literally stood on stage and showed how I use, how I, how I hack my email. I showed how I actually do forum posting. To give you a really quick example, the way I do forum posting in certain forums I need to be involved with from the telco and internet marketing kind of stuff is, you know, it's this core versus mechanics. I have a list of forums that I want to be proactive in every day uh, and I have a team member in the Philippines who know the topics that I'm comfortable talking about and I feel congruent talking about and I feel, you know, correct in talking about. Like I wouldn't talk about how to, um, you know, manage operations or anything like that because that's not my ideal skill set. I can give some advice but I'd rather talk about marketing. So she goes through these forums every day for me and picks out the four or five threads that she thinks I could add value to with my opinions. So then she sends me those emails, those four or five threads. I jump into only those four or five threads, read the question that's being asked, record an audio response of what my response is to those particular threads, email that back to her. She then transcribes it and posts it in the thread on my behalf. Because the only core value I actually add in that forum posting process is my answer to the question. There's no real value. It's mechanical. I don't add any value when I am spending an hour trawling through that forum for three threads to actually find and see someone rant about something completely irrelevant and then get distracted and end up on Facebook or YouTube watching Cats Play Piano. Like So I, that's how I do forum posting. That's how I'm proactive in forums on a regular basis because my team cut out all the noise and just give me what I need to worry about I add some great value content in an audio file. She then transcribes it, takes out the ums and posts them on my behalf. So I kind of did a whole bunch, like 90 minutes of workflows like that, did some forum posting, replied to some email, trained a staff member, created a video, a whole bunch of stuff. And people went like ape over it. I was blown away. They went absolutely nuts over it, which is really cool and very, very you know, humbling and stuff like that. And that kind of video got shared amongst kind of the, the inner circle, so to speak, you know, between Ed's friends and, and, and Rich saw it. And I think, you know, you know Rich and I'm sure a lot of your readers and listeners know Rich as well that he's kind of very much that way as well. You've seen his um, reading process where he does sort of the speed reading stuff on the oxygen. Yeah. It's insane. So he kind of saw my video and went, oh, you know, it, there's, there's definitely a, a correlation here. So he tracked me down. Um, you know, found, tracked down my PA, got, on, got a hold of me and said, look, we should really expand this 90-minute presentation into an actual product. And I went, all right, let's um, check my calendars. And it took about 12 months for me to actually get, you know, enough time in my calendar to actually make it happen. 
So in June this year, I flew over and spent uh, about three weeks with Rich's team and sort of helped him implement all these sort of, you know, um, hacks um, and workflow and core and mechanic um, uh, processes into into his own business, which has seen huge results. Can and then you, we before did, you keep going, Pete, I'm really curious what Rich's company, Rich's company, applied that like really was like a big change for them from what you what you taught. Sure. A big thing was that what they were doing was a lot of their content, like, you know, beyond just the core versus mechanics, there's a whole bunch of just I leverage everything because I, because I don't have much time. I don't have enough time to do a new blog post every single day, for example. So I leverage everything I do. So if I do a, a podcast, for example, or like a, a half-hour podcast episode, I'll not only use that podcast. Like the song we're doing right now, for example. Exactly. So so what I, what I suggested to Rich was doing – like he does Q&As every single week. Um, so what I suggested to him is – Take those. He has those Q and A's for his clients, and then just, that's it. Sits on the phone for three hours, answers all these questions, then walks away from that content. And I was like, "Hang on, hang on. You've just created some massive core value right there. So why don't, why don't you take that audio? You've you've answered fifteen questions in that three hours. Take that audio, have it transcribed, and then have that transcription cleaned up so it's a standalone article that you can post on your blog without him actually having to do any work himself because he's already done the core value there. So his team take the transcription and clean it up." Then that that also can be can be reworded, um, still the same core message that he's created, but someone else can ghostwrite or edit that so it's unique content with his message, his voice. There can be an article in Success Magazine, offline traffic. He could then have that um, audio taken and have someone create a video about it, and that video can then be posted on YouTube to drive traffic back to his sales page for the product that incorporates those Q and A questions. So it's all about leveraging his input. So he's done one input, how to leverage that. Like, so this podcast, for example, if you wanted to, you could take this and have a video created to match. You, know, you can get some, some images off my website and have a team member create a video so you have a video version of this podcast. You could then hire somebody, a writer, to actually take the transcription of this interview and write, hypothetically, uh, a review article or, or, or a profile piece about Pete Williams written by Yaris Starak. And that could be an article that you could submit to a business magazine and say, so the article's about me, which would be great, but you become a journalist and a reporter for offline magazines that can drive traffic back to your website. Positioned you as an expert and that's, why, that's a great article that you could write. Um, so that's sort of the, the way you could leverage it because this particular conversation we're having right now takes an hour and produces some massive core value that you could leverage a whole different ways with videos and articles and things like that. So that's the kind of stuff that I was helping his team work on of how to sort of put some of these processes in place and look at everything they're doing and where was the, the core value they were creating and where were they not leveraging that core value or where was mechanical stuff that Rich was doing or certain things that his team were doing that, was, that could have actually been outsourced. So there was, you know, his team that were doing a, a bunch of processes where they were doing, you know, core value things but they're also doing mechanical things as well. Like, for example, the person who created the video would then also you know, spend an hour creating a video but then spend 20 minutes uploading it to YouTube, Daily Motion, blah, 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 blah. But we put in pro- processes in place where they use software or outsourced Filipino people at much cheaper rates than what Rich was paying these high-end staffers to do the mechanical stuff that, you know, it's all about just keep continually breaking down core versus mechanics, core versus mechanics, core versus mechanics and getting the mechanical stuff off that person's desk to a lower paid price point person that overall makes the business more profitable which is now come to be known as uh profit hacks so yeah so after spending time with rich while we were there we were kind of putting this product together and we did a a six hour live stream for his for his clients for his his client list while i was there helping his team we did this live stream where i kind of did a six hour version of that 90 minute presentation and did a whole bunch of work and we had you know, quite a few hundred people on the, on the webinar and we made an offer saying, hey, guys, we're, we're rolling out this product we're going to call Profit Hack. We're going to build it um, that covers a whole bunch of courses and it's now 100 videos. This, this, this product's got 100 different workflow hacks and processes and um, you know, swipe and deploy resources and stuff. So we, we um, got a 51% conversion rate off, his, off the webinar. It was insane. People just loved it. They saw that went, holy wow. Um, and 51% of people on the webinar or the live stream bought, which blew me away. Um, and then so over the last sort of few months, we've been working with them to actually build the product out, refine it, get their feedback. And as I said, 100 videos, heaps of blueprints, swipe and deploy job ads and job descriptions. And literally, if you want someone to take a transcript and turn it into an article that can be in a magazine, you have the job ad to, to run on eDesk or Olance or something like that, or eLance or Odesk. <laughs> um, or um, then you've actually got the, 
the job description you can take and say, here's a job description, take this audio file, transcribe it, and do this with it. And it's all there, swipe and deploy. So we did that. Uh, and then now we're, we're taking it to market to, to the general public, so to speak, through, through affiliates and things like that, which is uh, super exciting. Yeah, I, mean, I find that I kind of like think of this as almost like outsourcing on steroids in the sense that you're, you really have drilled it down. I love that phrase, core versus mechanics. That, that's a great way of conceptualizing what you're doing there. And there's so much you can do. And I think and I'm thinking about this for my own purposes right now. I've got tons of blog content. I've got 70, 80 podcasts. Um, videos, uh, there's like mm. four books worth of reports and courses and things like that. So there's a huge back catalog. I could go and, and do everything, get it all repurposed for all different uh, yeah. purposes. Exactly. And that's, and that's, sorry. And, and, and the reason, like, as I think about this, I kind of go, okay, well, what I'm missing now is the people to do that. Yeah. And there's obviously a hiring process to go through. Now, um, Profit Hacks is a course that you guys yep. uh, have created. And like you said before, you've um, been selling internally to richest people and, and you're just about to go public depending on when you're listening to this it may already be public uh, <laughs> uh, pete was saying this could be the first time he's talked about profit hacks publicly or yeah. maybe not it depends when you listen to this uh, interview um, i'm really excited about it and i i'm also wary though because i've been excited about outsourcing concepts before and i just seem to have trouble getting things rolling yeah fair enough know. well in terms of outsourcing, to give you some context as well, like to me, only about 20% of the courses on outsourcing. Like I did a, a workshop uh, a while ago here in Australia with some of the, the leading marketers in Australia. You know, a lot of James Shramko's in the team came along. Some of Ed Dale's team came along. Um, a bunch of, you know, friends of yours and I were there as well, sort of sharing what I did as a sort of private workshop. And it was an eight-hour workshop. So that entire eight hours is inside the, the program. But beyond just that, we've, we've got like, it's basically five or, or six sort of, core things that the product talks about and it's it's all about leverage to me so there's things in there about just thinking about you know taking these reports and selling them on kindle for two dollars it might not make you like millions at millionaire but it might make you a couple hundred bucks a year that's sitting there doing nothing for you right now so and the whole idea of the program is to actually take people where they are right now in their business so it's not a sequential course like most courses it's about sort of you dip into it where you need it so at the very start you do this triage on your business to work out where you are right now, what you actually, what assets you have and where you're lacking, whether it's time for consumption. We talk about how to actually read books quicker and how to actually consume videos and audios quicker. So there's a whole bunch of you know, profit hacks on consumption. There's a whole bunch of profit hacks on communication, how to communicate with your team and your clients and your staff more efficiently, how to create content in a whole bunch of different ways, you know, how to actually you know, you approach people to interview for, for content for your own website or your blog and there's scripts for approaching people and email request scripts you can copy and paste and um, how to leverage your content and, and swipe and deploy processes for that and then there's outsourcing at the end so if you need to build a team there's that entire eight hour workshop with job ads and job descriptions and process maps to actually apply all this sort of stuff and okay great stuff and obviously way too much to talk about in this interview and <laughs> And it's obviously only one aspect of what you, you do, Pete, but it's the current thing you're, you're focused yeah, on. Yeah, so I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm, I'm going through the course right now, so I'm looking forward to implementing some of that. My kind of goal is to do it all in, in 2013, and hopefully somewhere through that year I, I can be doing what you do, Pete, in the sense of getting a lot of value out of what I already create. So I'm awesome. excited about that. Now, uh, so going forward, obviously you're doing this launch with, uh, rich, rich and, and yeah. I'll put some links up to go with this podcast once I know what they are exactly uh, and um, no doubt that there's a bunch of uh, free training stuff that you and Rich yeah. will release um, yeah. as we're, part we're of doing, the launch so we're doing another six hour as part of the launch with all the training videos and stuff we're doing a six hour live stream again so that's where I'll sort of teach a lot it'll be, be six hours of me teaching and people okay. are blown away when I've done that before so no doubt if you're interested in that part of what what Pete has done and you can see I think listening to your interview why it's become necessary for you to do <laughs> this system. Like, yep. uh, I think there's more to it than just having a lot of motivation there. There is some good coordination of people going on yep. and, and to get the leverage you're getting out of all this. So um, lots to learn in that area. Um, Pete, we're, we're almost at the end of this, this interview. So what, what are you up to in the future and, and where is this all taking you? Yeah, well, good question. So, so for me, it's sort of, you know, as I said before, you know, baby number one um, coming along in, in January, just got married this year. So child on the way straight away, which is super exciting. Little baby boy. So thank both. you much. So that's sort of the, the plan for 2013 for me is uh, dirty nappies. That's going to be interesting. Um, got a new book deal. So I have a new book um, that I've been writing for, for a while, um, which is uh, called It's Not About the Product. Um, so I'm sure people kind of get 
based on what we've spoken about today, the core of that book, what that's all about. It's sort of talking about it's not about the product and it's about the marketing and sales and things like that. So that's sort of uh, the big project for me next year is, is get that book and, you know, crazy goal, New York Times list kind of goal for the book and I think we can potentially do it. I'm really proud of how the book's coming along. So that's kind of my, my two big things for next year is kind of take that lifestyle that you were kind of talking about because the businesses are, you know, at that point now where they they don't need me to maintain and I, I no longer want to take over the world or anything like that, at least for the next sort of four or five years because I want to sort of have some time for myself and the family and um, do another Ironman triathlon. And, and So next year, 2013 is about sort of Pete Williams and actually kind of stepping back a little bit, write a book and enjoy some family life. And then, you know, 2014, who knows what I sort of might want to do at that point. <laughs> yeah, it's a while away yet. So Yeah. Okay, uh, for anyone listening to this, Pete, let's uh, wrap it up with a final question. Now, I, I like uh, to a- ask this of... Uh, my people I interview because I think it's often overwhelming when you reach this point in the interview because yep. we've kind of summed up your entire life, in, uh, <laughs> at least your business life in, in an hour. Now, a person listening to this is probably thinking, all right, what I've really learned here about what, what Pete's coming across with is a couple of things. Obviously, it's all it's about the marketing and the sales, not about the product. That seems to be a, a big thing with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for a lot of people, the struggle they're coming against is really right at the beginning with issues of cash flow, issues of, you know, I, I want to do these profit hacks, but frankly, I, I'm struggling to even mm. generate my first bit of cash flow to yeah. hire people to start doing all this content creation and find the time to create the content, do that core <laughs> from the mechanics. Yeah. Um, could you maybe go back in time and, and, okay, maybe because you're a serial entrepreneur and this is something that's just come naturally to you, I don't know, you, you know everyone has trials and tribulations, but let's put yourself into the shoes of someone who is a working a job right now but they're yep. not they're not meant to be a job worker they're meant to be an, an entrepreneur or at least someone who has some form of lifestyle business that's that's making the equivalent to what their job makes for them sure but they don't have to work the job so they get that kind of time freedom and lifestyle freedom that they're after not necessarily wanting to follow in your footsteps and have six companies and you know teams of filipinos <laughs> yeah, but, i wouldn't necessarily advise it <laughs> but you know one website or one yeah. business running but it's just this momentum is such a challenge. Mm. Like, how do you find getting this flywheel started? Like, what's the best piece of advice you can give to a newbie, a beginner, at this yeah, process? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's 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 not about outsourcing, but I do think it's about core versus mechanics, and I think it's about this you know core focus time. So, what I've been talking to people about is what I suggest is you know you can't outsource the mechanics straight away. You might not have the time, or most likely you don't have the resources of cash to do that, which is completely fine. But at least start looking at your diary, going, okay, every day. I'm going to do something that's core for my business, you know, whatever it might be. And you still have to do the mechanical sides of video creation, hypothetically, as an example. So when you go to sit down and do a video, really break it down and say, okay, right now I'm going to put my little core business owner hat on. I'm going to do the core element of this task. And that's what, what you might do in the morning before you go to work, hypothetically. Go to work, do your job, get annoyed at the man, come home and then put on your mechanical hat and then do the mechanical side of the business. But make sure you really separate them in the way you actually go about your work because it's really strange. I can't explain it. I'm not a psychologist. But when you actually physically are sitting down doing core stuff and you're very clear, this is core. And over here I'm doing mechanics. You basically find a way to get mechanics off your desk because you're very, very clear about this is stuff that I'm adding value to. How can I get rid of this? And without that clarity of you know, connection or differentiation between the two elements – you kind of stumble along. So many people go, I want to outsource something, but they don't know. They try and outsource the whole thing and it falls over. I think everyone's tried to outsource, you know, article writing from scratch and it just isn't your voice and not your language or anything like that. Whereas if you break the two things up, you know, you can see the differences there. So I think that is, it's, it's, it's a very sort of eclectic kind of answer or esoteric answer is probably a better word. But I think it is really about doing what you're doing in your business and just making sure that you, you look at your diary and go, okay, these are the core things I'm doing. These are the mechanical things I'm doing. And over time, just look, look on a weekly basis and try and increase the amount of core stuff you're doing and decrease the mechanical stuff. Because it's, it's not about necessarily outsourcing the mechanical stuff. It could be as much as using software to, to, to quicken or fasten up the mechanical elements or for a lot of cases, eliminating mechanics. This mechanics element is completely irrelevant in certain circumstances when you start looking at the task you're doing. So having that clear differentiation between the two will actually help you get some clarity and surprisingly, whatever reason, it just frees people up a lot more and they can move forward a lot quicker. All right, so an example might be if, if you're going to drop some mechanical is if you're doing videos, stand in front of a camera, talk it out and upload it rather than stand in front of a camera, worry about a slide presentation yeah. and the screen flow, but just, Absolutely. just get the content up there. I think the best... Uh, I guess analogy or another word I could see using for that 
core part of it is really what your your creative output is, where you're yep. creating something rather yeah. than just uh, you know reproducing or doing like you said mechanical roles that only work if there's some sort of crea- creativity in existence to begin with. Exactly, and just when you when you're doing that creative work, try and get all the friction out of the way because friction is another word for mechanics. And so many people, you know. Want to, want to do uh, some video hypothetically, but they spend all this time worrying about which microphone to buy and all that sort of stuff. It's like, just get the content out there. Just just get the creative juices out there and just reduce the friction as much as you can. You can always go back and fix it if you need to. All right, Pete, uh, let's wrap it up. Thank you for, for doing the interview. Uh, where can we send people to? There's obviously a lot of sites for you. Where do you like people to go to find out more about what you do? Well, to probably get the most overview for me, petewilliams.com.au kind of covers... Uh, all the craziness that is my life. Uh, so that's probably a good place to start. So from there, you can kind of filter everywhere. But obviously, if people are interested in Profit Hacks, you've got the links on your site and stuff like that so they can check it out. Awesome. Okay, Pete, uh, thanks for taking the time to answer the questions and, of course, go through your story. I, I, you know, you're still a young man, so there's, there's a, a good story to continue, <laughs> I think, with all this. So Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> fingers crossed. So, yeah, thanks very much for taking the time and, and good luck with everything you do. I appreciate it, mate. Thank you. And if anyone is listening to this and you do want to hear more interviews with inspiring and interesting people like Pete, head to my blog, Entrepreneur's Journey, by Googling my name, Yaro, Y-A-R-O, and you'll find my blog there. And then just click the podcast tab if you want to grab uh, interviews. And of course, if you want to find uh, the links that went along with this one by Pete, you can find that there too. So thanks for listening, everyone, and I'll talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye.